Lord, we agree together now in the name of Jesus to break every chain of infirmity, to break every chain of affliction, to break every curse, to break every attempt that the enemy would make to choke us out. And that, Lord, there would be an impartation, Lord, now as we pray, as we've laid hands on our family, Lord, as we've uh, anointed with oil, Lord, that chains would be broken, that the intentions of the enemy would be broken. Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here in us as is, in, as is done in heaven, Lord. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Chuck, would you come on up? Chuck uh, dropped by the store the other day and... and uh, as often happens uh, with Chuck, some, something prophetic kind of drops out of his mouth. And, and I asked him this morning if he would just share uh, quickly what he shared with me. Uh, and we'll see where we go from there. But uh, um, that's it. We'll see, we'll see if he can remember. What, what he shared with me, but I stopped him right there, and so hopefully I didn't, you know, I stopped you right in the mid-sentence, and I, I said, man, can you share that? And you, you looked at me kind of like, well, what did I just say? Well, I, I, <laughs> I knew what it was. But I, All right. Um, I'm glad he said it was prophetic, because there has been some pathetic things fall out of my mouth, <laughs> as I'm sure with all of us from time to time. Uh, I love what just happened because it kind of fits right into what Kenny and I was speaking about, about the, uh, the unity of the body and the body. And, and he says, touching the family. And I don't know sometimes whether we really realize um, where God wants to take us as a family. Uh, how many of you believe this morning that God wants to do wonderful miracles in his church, in his body, in his body? Well, about half of you. That's, I would have liked to have seen 100%, but uh, how, about, how about how many of you believe that God wants to do something powerful in your life? You, personally. Oh, more hands. Okay, that's good. That's wonderful. We're coming along. And then the route to get there and, and what, what we have to go through. One of the verses that we were singing there, um, and it came up in a discussion uh, when we were speaking, uh, greeting one another, and it was, um, I lay me down, I rid me of myself. Boy, because I think self is one of, the, one of the worst things that we have to battle is self. I find that with the uh, apostles, you know, they're walking along and going like, oh, I'm greater than you are, I'm better than you are. I'm, oh, I'm so much deeper than you are, you know. I'm going to be the greatest, you know, in, in the kingdom and all that, you know. All self, self, self. And, uh, and that, that was not what Jesus uh, came to do is to see a bunch of selves, but to bring a body into um, a place where it can be used to his glory. Uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians starts out like this in verse 11. 
And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. What a gift. I mean, I do look at my pastor and I think, what a gift. Do you ever look, look at him and say, thank you, Jesus, for that gift? Because that's, that's a job, <laughs> being a pastor. That is something. I mean, that's a calling. You have to have a calling to be a pastor. And so these are given to us as gifts. And it says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I mean, you could take any one of these verses and spend a whole day on it. And it says here, till we all come in the unity of the faith. And if you read on uh, in the first part of chapter 4, you find out there's only one faith. And you find out that uh, there's only one Lord, and there's only one baptism, and there's only one body, and one spirit, and one hope, and one God and Father of all. And he goes on there and he says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness wherewith they lie in wait to deceive but speaking the truth in love. How many of us uh, hear these different things that have happened? Maybe we've even been caught up in it. You know, there's uh, the laughing thing that went on up in, where was that, Ontario or somewhere else, and then there was the shaking thing that went on down in Pensacola, and then there was this other thing that goes on over here, and, and you know, so many people, we used to call them church bunnies because they just hop from one church to the next, chasing whatever happens to be going on, instead of being where they should be, doing what they should be doing, and having God to move mightily in their presence. I don't think we have to run off anywhere else to have God move in our presence. And so, anyway, it says here, but speaking the truth in love, boy, that's an important thing, in love, may grow up into all things which is the head, even Christ. Now, here, here's a beautiful part right here. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And I think part of what we were talking about was, uh, was how that the apostles, this is an important thing, because the beginning of our church starts in Acts chapter 1. Hmm. Jesus speaking to his apostles. And he says to them, being assembled together, chapter 1 verse 4 says, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he saith, you have heard of me. 
For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And when they were there, and uh, when they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of, to Israel? See, now they're thinking flesh. They're thinking worldly. They're thinking about Israel being restored. God wants to do something a lot greater with them than just to restore the kingdom. He wants the kingdom to come. You know, we're singing that song, You're Glorious in Heaven. I think it's just really beautiful when I stand and I look somebody in the eye and I see him looking back at me. When Jesus is showing himself mighty and glorious in us to one another. That's what's really beautiful. I just saw that a little while ago. Jesus just looking right back at me. Just the glory of God on somebody. I see that when I run into this guy sometime around town. I'm always honking at you. I don't know whether you hear me or not. Beep. I'm praying for Nick now. <laughs> you know? So that's a, the thing that God puts people on my heart. I'd be driving around or, or sitting at home. Last week I didn't feel well, and it gave me great opportunity to spend hours and hours listening to God's Word and going into the Word and diving deep into it and seeing what God had to say to me. I looked at the sickness. I didn't enjoy it. No, I didn't feel good. But, boy, the richness in God's Word that, that speaks to you when, you when you're a seeker. And so Jesus says to him, like, come on, guys, I'm trying to give you something really meat here, something really good, and you're talking about wanting to be part of a kingdom that's going to be built, and you want to be, you know, everybody wanted their part, you know. John and James wanted to sit on one hand and that hand, too much self. And so he says here to them, it is not given unto you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall have received power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. I'm sorry, I read that old stuff. I, I was brought up when I, all I said was Holy Ghost. I didn't know about Holy Spirit. You know, it just, it was, that's what they said. So, um, and that's what it was too. <laughs> Something come upon you and, and overtook you and just melted you away. And there was nothing left there but the glory of God. And that's what God wants to do in his church. And it says here, and you shall receive power after you, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses, power to be witnesses, not afraid to speak, not afraid to stand out, not uh, hiding in some upper room somewhere and, and all closed in. With the windows and stuff closed like when Jesus showed up that night uh, after he had arisen and they were all scared. No, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So it goes on here and it says, you should be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, Where's Stephanie at? Stephanie? Yeah, there you are, way back there. Uttermost part of the world. Nepal, India, Swaziland. One of our own, one of our parts of our body. I don't know what part, a hand or a finger or whatever part she is, but she's out there doing what she was told that she would be. A witness. 
A witness. And, and that's the way we need to be. But you notice where it started at. It started right at home. If it's going to start with, it's going to start in our own house. And so these guys decided that they would, uh, they would do something that Jesus said to do. And so they went, and there was about 120 of them. And um, they uh, went into this upper, upper room. And it says here, And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and Philip, and Thomas, and Bartholomew, and uh, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotus, and Judas, the brother of James, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names were about 120, men and brethren, this scripture must needs have, uh, needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spoke concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. Imagine that, 120 of them compacted and pressed into this little area. That's about the size of our church, isn't it? And they were there for about 10 days. Think about that. Pressed together. United. I found out that that becoming of one accord a lot of times contains some pressure. I know that my wife and I get close, really close, when there's pressure. I can remember when she was in the hospital with a suspected heart attack. I remember when she was in the hospital one time and uh, anaphylactic shock. She had eaten something that reacted bad on her. I remember another time when she had a, a four centimeter um, cyst on an ovary or growth on an ovary. Cyst? On a kidney, excuse me, on a kidney. And we prayed, and we prayed earnestly, and others prayed for us. And they went in, and they looked for that thing, and you know what? They couldn't find it. Every time, her heart came out all right. Kidney stones, they came out all right, too. A little painful, but they came out. If you ever had them, you know. So those times, though, really pressured us together. Sometimes the pressure is going to bring us closer and tighter together. When our body is attacked like Michelle and, and Jesse and, and Lance and, and Steph, it ought to pressure us together. And my friend right here sitting there on that, on that second row, glad to see you here, my brother. God bless you. And that we, we need to come together and be pressured into that usable unit called the body of Christ. That unit out here is no good without that unit right in here. And if one finger is missing from the hand, the entire hand is not as useful as it could be. And that poor finger is going to die out there somewhere. And we need that body together to do what God wants to do mightily in our body, in our church. Amen. Amen.
I don't know about you guys, but I don't like pressure. But when Chuck, Chuck said much, much less to me, but in that moment, he was talking about the pressure and how it's meant to bind us together. And, and I, I just really appreciated that so much. Um, so I, I want to kind of tag on to that. If, if I could. This is something the, the Lord was speaking to me this morning. Um, if you want to turn to Luke 13. Luke chapter 13. We're in a spot here where uh, it says that uh, in verse 22 that Jesus journeyed on through towns and villages teaching and making his way toward Jerusalem. So he's, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And in verse 23, someone asks him, and I'm, and I'm reading out of the Amplified here specifically um, for a reason here. And someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved Rescued, delivered from the penalties of the last judgment, and made partakers of the salvation by Christ. And he said to them, Strive to enter by the narrow door. Force yourselves through it. For many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. And, and I want to, want to stop there for a moment and just share a couple thoughts about that with you this morning. How many of you have ever been to Disneyland? Disney World, there's not a lot of difference as far as um, I can tell you guys, uh, the first time I went, I don't remember exactly how old I was, I think I was around 10, Linda, do you remember the first time we went to Disneyland, how old were you? 14, so I probably would have been 10, uh, right at about 10 years old, dad scored some free tickets, some compliment, complimentary tickets and I think that's probably really the only reason we got to go. I'm not calling my dad cheap. I'm just saying at that time in our lives, we didn't have a lot of extra money. And so when mom and dad said, we're going to Disneyland and dad got some free tickets, I'm just like, wow, you know, this is so cool. And uh, <clears throat> I remember a lot about that trip. I remember uh, driving down Interstate 5 and looking out and them saying, there's Disneyland, there's Disneyland. And, and what they were saying is, there's a Matterhorn. At that time, that's, that's about what you looked at and you seen is, is uh, the Matterhorn. And I remember that we stayed at this hotel, and, or I wouldn't call it a hotel. It was definitely back in the days of motels, okay? And, and it wasn't fancy, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't a dump. I mean, I was 10 years old. I really didn't care. I just wanted some place to sleep, right? But I remember being able to see Disneyland from the motel that we stayed at. And then I remember getting into the parking lot at Disneyland and being able to see Disneyland. But I wanted, want you guys to understand something. I wasn't in Disneyland yet. And um, those of you that have been into Disneyland, you know that you, you wait in line, um, you have to purchase tickets, and then you literally press through the gate. Now, I don't know if they still do the same thing because it's been a few years since I've been there. But it used to be that you had to push through a turnstile. 
And a lot of times it wasn't a matter of just going waltzing through. It was a matter of turning a little bit. Now, for a little kid, it was just walking straight through, push the, that was cool, push the bar, and, and then you're in Disneyland. And I want you guys to understand something. I knew I was in Disneyland because I had went through the gate. And, and it says something right there that's in the flowers. Isn't it in the flowers? Those of you that have been there more, more than me, is it Disneyland spelled out in flowers? And I remember that's, I think that's the first picture we took as a family. Mom, I don't know where those pictures are. You probably do. But those pictures, you know, told the story that we had arrived and we were in Disneyland. But that wasn't enough. I remember um, eating at, I think it was, it's a specific dairy at the time, had a breakfast um, place that you could go to. And I remember having breakfast at Disneyland. And I remember going to things like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. And, and being on Pirates of the Caribbean, but you guys, I was in Disneyland, and, I, and the only thing that I really cared about is that my sister, my mom, and my dad were there. I really didn't care about all of the other masses of people at that age. For those of you that went at a young age, were you ever thinking, man, I wish my buddy was here, or I wish my best friend was here? I, I, no, when I went, I was just super thrilled. And, and one of my favorite rides was the cars that you could drive around. And I was 10 years old, and I realized that they had those stupid wheels on there and those tracks to keep me on there, but I still felt some power in being able to push the gas pedal and the, and the car would respond. I think they've since removed those cars, if I remember correctly. But here we have this, this person asking this question, to Jesus, are there few who are saved? And it's like the question that some of us have heard. What about all those people who have never heard about Jesus? It's like that question that says, um, how could a loving God send people to hell? Are there few that are saved? Now, I don't know if that was the intention, but this is what I was journaling on this morning, is this idea of entering in to salvation. Because if we go on to read about this, here, I've got, I got to get my Bible back, open back up. I've got my regular Bible up here, but again, I want to I read the rest of this. He says, strive to enter by the narrow door. Force yourselves through it. For many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house gets up and closes the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door again and again, saying, Lord, open to us, he will answer you, I do not know where, what household, certainly not mine, you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where, what household, certainly not mine, you come from. Depart from me, all you wrongdoers. There will be weeping and grinding of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being cast forth, banished, 
driven away. And people will come from east and west, from north and south, and sit down, feast at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are some now last who will be first then, and there are some now first who will be last then. It goes on to say that the Pharisees showed up at that moment and interrupted and jumped in on conversation probably because they didn't feel real comfortable with what he was saying. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. Here's, here's what I think Jesus is, is answering that question with, and I think it ties in with what Chuck was saying, and it certainly speaks to something that I needed to hear this morning. Jesus is answering that question by first saying to them, you need to get saved. You're worried about how many people are going to get saved, but first of all, Wayne, you've got to get saved. You're wondering about how many people are going to hell, but Tommy first, you've got to get saved. You've got to take care of responding to the truth yourself. This reminds me of that common speech at, given at the beginning of every flight that, that they say, should we lose cabin pressure during our flight? Yeah, that's always comforting when they say that. That, the, that these things are going to just drop out, which I think would be kind of shocking to go through that. I think some of you probably have had that happen before. I, I know at least one friend that had them all drop down, and they didn't need them. They just kind of like appeared. That would be disconcerting, I think. But, but if you need oxygen... What do they tell you to do first? Put it on yourself. Why? Because there's this limited amount of time available before you pass out. And while you're helping somebody else put theirs on, you might pass out. And then they'll be having to try and work with you. And you're not conscious. So here's, here's this idea. And some of you would say, well, Kenny, we're saved. Well, I think Jesus is saying something that, that it's when we get like the Pharisees that, that we think we've got it all together that we miss the ongoing nature of pressing in, pushing in. And, and that's what I felt like the Lord was saying to me, Kenny, yeah, you have made the choice to follow me, but this continual pressing in can't be neglected. And that's why... That's why it's important for us to pray for one another, to continue to contend for healing, to, to realize that we are still in a battle. We're in a war. And we're facing things that are going to either drive us apart or push us together. And, and what I'm praying for is that these things will push us together. And that's why I wanted us to pray for our country because so much of what's happening today is driving us apart.
<clears throat> and, and before I go on to talk about that for a moment and then, then lead us in prayer, church, here's the thing. Every one of us, if we're not facing one now, we will be soon. We will be facing challenges. Some of us face more than others, it seems like, but the truth is we all face challenges. And I think Jesus' words to this person are true for us, even though we know Jesus and we've asked him into our heart, is to strive to enter through the narrow gate instead of being worried about how everybody else is doing our... I have to ask myself, am I entering in to what Jesus intends for me today? Am I responding to his word today? Am I applying his word today? Because it's not a matter, to, to me, church, it's not a matter of once saved, always saved. It's a matter of once saved, I will always seek to come to the unity of the faith, to be transformed into his likeness that he's not done until I'm standing in his presence and he says, well done. And that's true for all of us, amen? But getting back to this issue of where our country is at, church, normally I wouldn't do this, but I, uh, I just really think I, I need to. Here, I want to read, read something to you. See if I can get it to open properly. I, I post, posted on Friday, <clears throat> and the reason why I posted this is because a lot of people have been saying, making the point about Congress shouldn't be able to get their pay since government is shut down and, and somewhere around 800,000 government workers aren't receiving their paycheck because of that. But Congress, because they're... Um, they, they wrote a, a law for themselves, so they still get paid even though everybody else isn't getting paid. And so people, people have been you know, making this point over and over and over again. And I said, the leader of the U.S. House of Representatives, in, in other words, the Speaker of the House, has a net worth of $120 million. Let that sink in for a minute. The leader of the U.S. Senate has a net worth of $17 million. I don't think denying them their paycheck during the government shutdown will even phase them. Perhaps finding Congress daily might work. And, of course, I had lots of people that agreed and people that liked the post. And then I had one of my friends who shall remain nameless unless you're one of my friends and you can go look at it and you can go, oh, that guy. And, 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 and that would be wrong because I'm going to read two different things here this morning that, that you guys are going to catch this. And this is part of, believe me, this ties in with what I'm talking about. This is about entering in through the pressure so that we're unified during the pressure to accomplish his will. So he says, Kenny, I assume by your comment that you have absolved the billionaire in the White House of any accountability for the shutdown. 
yes, I have friends who don't like President Trump. So I said, not at all. My points are, many of the people on both sides of the aisle are so wealthy that they can't even relate to what the average Joe is going through, and they honestly only care about emerging from this looking good. That's why I address the House Speaker's net worth and the Senate Leader's net worth. Number two, this is a problem more to do with Congress, both Democrats and Republicans. They are all complicit in this because we have faced the same issues with the past presidential administrations. But it's gotten worse because people are so polarized by Trump. Three, as long as they, our politicians, can keep us inflamed towards Trump or inflamed towards Republicans or inflamed towards Democrats, we are all being used by them to further divide and conquer this country. All right? Number four, the media is also complicit in this because they also profit from the division and emotion-charged nature of where our political system is. Bottom line is, I just noticed I have something to edit because I, I said R, A-R-E, instead of our. I don't know why I do that so many times. <clears throat> okay, bottom line is we the people are losing because so many of us think the Democrats are right, or the Republicans are right, or Trump is the savior, or Trump is the pariah. While I happen to be a registered Republican because I happen to agree with more of their platform than I do with the Democrats' platform, I know that the power structure in our country is totally twisted, and I'm concerned about what will happen if we don't pull our heads out of our proverbial shorts. I was saying it as nicely as I could. Now, some of you are saying, how does this tie in with anything that you're talking about? It's because the church needs to be leading in the charge of healing in our country. And we think that Trump is the savior. Or we think Trump is going to solve it. Or we think the Democrats, if they could drop off the face of the earth, could, that would solve it. Or we think if Republicans could be in power. Let's face it, you guys. What's happening is our government has become absolutely inefficient or in, unable, impotent to be able to do anything to solve the problem, and we keep hoping that they will. And our, our country is in need of Jesus. And, and, and it, it's not a matter of how can I fix them. It's a matter of Will I enter in the narrow gate? Will I go into that place of prayer? Will I go in and seek the Lord about what he wants in me, what he needs to do in me? And even when it hurts, even when the pressure's on, will I still look to him even though I don't necessarily feel like it? We are majorly distracted like this person that Jesus was talking, talking to when they said, are there few who are saved? And, and I don't think Jesus really completely answered the question as much as he said, make sure you're saved. Make sure you enter through the narrow gate. Make sure... You're seeking Jesus' will. Make sure you're looking for God to do a redemptive work in you, not 
one time, not two times, not three times, but infinite times. Times that are not countable. Because I don't, I'm sure that you guys are all with me on this, that none of us want to hear, I don't know you. I don't know where you're from. Lord, please let us in. Please let us in. I, I don't know you. And I think it's that I don't know you is because they became just completely calloused. And, and the, the, the reason why we're going through much of what we're going through these days is because Jesus is putting the pressure on and we need to seek the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's, you know, I didn't know what Chuck was completely going to share, but I think the, the whole tying it in to wait for the Holy Spirit to show up. That's one of the things that I started out the year with is feeling like the Lord wanted me to, to get up again and have that perspective to, to wait on him in the morning and, and to, to listen for what he would want to speak to me in the morning. And you guys realize it's easy to get out of that habit? There's always something demanding our attention, isn't there? So I think praying for our country right now would be really, really good. Don't you? Praying for ourselves. Praying that we would strive to enter by the narrow gate, that it wouldn't be a matter of going to a Disneyland once, it would be a matter of living in the kingdom of God daily. Entering that narrow gate every morning. You know, that's one of the things I had to do when I went to Myanmar. The first, the first time I went into Myanmar is I couldn't stay there. I had to stay right by the gate. And every morning I had to get up, go to the gate, go through the whole process that's not simple. They don't do anything in, in countries that have just opened up to foreigners. They never do things simple. You have to leave your passport with them at the gate, and then when you come back through, you get to pick it back up at the gate when you exit. <laughs> that scares the living daylights out of you if you realize you can't go anywhere without that passport. You're stuck in that country until you get that passport back. I believe the Lord wants us to go in daily to, to rise up. Lord, I want to go into your presence today. I want to be changed. Lord, there's so much about my life that needs to be changed more into your likeness. There's so much more, Lord, that you want to do in me. And Lord, maybe if you can do that work in me, maybe you could do that work in our country as well. So Lord, that's where my prayer would start. First of all, God, thank you that you sent your only son to pay the price for our sin. Thank you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That there is no other name given among men that we may be saved. Jesus is the only way. And while some may think that that sounds prideful or exclusive, Lord, I think, Lord, it's so inclusive because you also say that it's not your will that any should perish, but that all should come to salvation. And so, Lord, it's from that understanding, Lord, that we pray, first of all, that, Lord, 
you by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, by our willingness to wait for you, by our willingness, Lord, to seek first the kingdom of God, that, Lord, there would be that ability for us to strive to enter in by that narrow gate each and every day, Lord, pressing into your presence more and more, that, Lord, we still have not discovered all of the joys of your kingdom. We have still not been set free from all of the impediments of this life. But Lord, we know that as we press into your presence more, that you will cleanse and purify us in your presence. Lord, as we do that as your church, Lord, I believe that there would be a redemptive work that you would do in this country. And maybe it's not government getting their head together Maybe it's not everything being great in our country, but Lord, that it would simply draw the lost to you. That others would be given the example to strive by that narrow gate, strive to enter in by that narrow gate. Lord, that there would be that testimony that they see in our lives that would draw them to also enter in. That Lord, instead of worrying, fretting, complaining, cursing, and and by all manner, Lord, being caught up in the affliction that is going on in this country, that, Lord, we would be a part of the healing that is taking place, the reconciliation that's taking place, the restoration. And, Lord, finally, I'm reminded of what you've called me to do, and that is to seek the peace of the city that we live in. Lord, I pray that we would seek the peace, Lord, of the places that we work. We'd seek the peace of our homes. We'd seek the peace of those with whom we have a relationship, that, Lord, you would give us opportunity, Lord, and we would be brave and bold, Lord, by by your Holy Spirit, Lord, to take advantage of those opportunities. Sometimes those things are are just as simple, Lord, as providing a meal. Sometimes they're just so simple as, as giving a blessing to someone who is struggling. Lord, I pray that we would just simply be led by your Holy Spirit in these days because, Lord, we need an outpouring of your Holy Spirit and that outpouring of your Holy Spirit is gonna come through your church those that are willing to enter by the narrow gate. And then, Lord, bring healing. Bring that alignment. Bring that transformation, Lord. And heal our country. Heal our nation. And, Lord, we pray for our nation's leaders, Democrat, Republican, Independent, whatever they may be. We pray uh, for the the Muslim leaders that have been elected to Congress, and we pray for their salvation. Lord, we know that the enemy would like us to hate, but Lord, your word says to love. And so, Lord, the greatest love that we could have for them is to pray for their salvation, to pray, Lord, that you would encounter and invade their circumstances, to draw them unto yourself. Lord, encounter those that 
have much wealth and have learned to trust in themselves. Lord, encounter them. Bring them to the place where they would humble themselves before you, Lord. Bless our president. Bless our vice president. Bless those in the administration that help them. Bless bless our Congress and bless our Supreme Court. Bless our state government as they are meeting now and have things that they're discussing and making decisions on. Bless our county. Bless our city. Lord, we pray all these things because, Lord, we want you to be glorified. We want you to be exalted. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys want one more little quote? Our president of Foursquare put this quote on this morning. And uh, it's probably as political as Glenn Burris ever gets. But he says, God loves people I don't like. God loves people I don't like. Therein is the problem. God is love. We would rather correct people than connect with people. God doesn't change us to accept us. He accepts us to change us. God loves people I don't like. I read that this morning. I was like, ah. It's so true. Lord, help us to connect with people, help us to, yeah, Lord, thank you that you accept us to change us, amen.